My name is Keith Beavers, and this is the last episode of season two of Y101. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 30 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 podcast. This is episode 30, the last episode of season two. Wow, we're here, guys. Okay, for this episode, we're going to talk about brandy. Yeah, what is that stuff? Is it wine? Not really. But does it, 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 it has to do with wine, but in a couple, it's just, yeah. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Brandy. At E&J Brandy, crafting the best brandy is what we do. We harvest only the highest quality grapes, distill each vintage in our own distilleries, and age each batch for at least two years in oak barrels. The result? Brandy that is smooth and aromatic with incredible depth and flavor. Try our ultra-elegant E&G XO Brandy, or switch it up with one of our E&J flavors, peach, apple, or vanilla. Crafting quality brandy since 1975. E&J Brandy. I mean, just... Ah, wow, wine lovers. Wow. I, I just want to, before we get started, I want to thank you guys again for all of your support for this podcast. You guys are so engaging. Whether it's reviews on iTunes or whatever, or interacting with me on Instagram. I, I love it. This is, I don't ever want to stop. This is the best. You guys have made this podcast one of the most popular wine podcasts on the internet. Thank you. I'm glad you like what I'm, I'm glad you are enjoying picking up what I'm putting down. (laughs) Thing is, season three isn't coming out until next year. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little mini series of Wine 101 between season two and season three, starting on September 8th. And this is going to be me straight up geeking out. I'll be talking about things that I am currently and have been for a while very obsessed with and I cannot wait. So follow me on Instagram at VinePairKeith for more information about what's coming up. But, you know, this is going to be this is going to be awesome. If you've been listening to the podcast in season one, I don't know. There might be a freely episode, you know. We might talk more about orange wine. I don't know. You guys ever had Greek wine? Oh my God, it's amazing. Maybe we'll talk about Greece. Georgia, the country, not the state. Oh, so fun. Okay, brandy. When you look up brandy in the, um, the Oxford Wine Companion, it's, it's not there. So I go to Jedi Wine Master Jansis Robinson's website, and it turns out that they actually had a brandy section in the book, but at some point the publishers were worried because that section made the book weigh too much and therefore would have to cost more. (laughs) That's nuts. And it turns out it's about 30 pages. So that's, I mean, wow. I had no idea Brandy was so involved. But the thing is, Brandy is so, it's, I mean, again, I know I say this a lot of time. I'm saying this in the last episode of season two. I need more time for Brandy. I mean, this is like, the, the, the world of Brandy is, is huge. 
And there's reasons for that. Um, the way brandy is made uh, in, in, our, in the history of wine and travel and distribution, it just makes sense. One of the largest trading companies in the history of the world is the Dutch East India Trading Company. It's a very specific name, but it was a mega conglomerate. It was sort of like the, the, the preamble to capitalism. It was huge in the 1600s. Because the Dutch did so much trading, the word brandy comes from them in that they had a way of distilling wine that would actually be palatable and be able to survive long trips over the sea and be profitable. So for them, they had a name called Brandywine. I'm not going to say it in Dutch because I don't have that accent and I can't, I don't want to butcher it. But what it really means, brand wine to brand or to burn and wine. So basically heating or burning wine, which basically translates into distilling wine. And that's where they think brandy, the word, came from. This theory is not set in stone, but it kind of makes sense. And the, the crazy thing is, from that moment, let's say that is the moment where the brandy word kind of came about, it just shatters off into all different kinds of directions throughout history and things just get crazy. A brandy is really what would be called a grape-based spirit. And that spirit can be distilled from wine or pomace. And we talked about pomace all the way in the first season. In the beginning, we talked about winemaking. It's the stuff that comes out the block of organic material that comes out after the fermentation process for wine. The French call it the Marc, M-A-R-C. They also call brandy made from that Marc. And that seems simple enough. You have this material, whether it's a wine or organic material that's a little bit moist from a fermentation, and then you distill whatever liquid is, is there. That makes sense. And But it gets so much more complicated than that. Because over history, there have been brandies that were called, well, there were spirits that were called brandy that were actually made from fruits that were not grapes. So at some point in history, the UN had to come in and go, look, this is what brandy is. It's a grape-based spirit. And I believe one of the reasons for that, well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but Europe, specifically France, specifically Southwest France, has two communes, one named Cognac and one named Armagnac, that is actually famous for their grape-based brandies. And Cognac alone needs its own episode, so I can't get into all that, although there should be, we should do an episode at some point. But the places that are really known for their type or their own style of brandy besides France is Spain. Spain does a lot of brandy, mostly concentrated in the southern part of the country. A lot of that is consumed domestically, so we don't see a lot of it on the American market. Italy is not a big brandy country, but they have one style they do, and they're very proud of it. It's called grappa, and that is made from pomace, not from wine. South Africa 
is a big deal when it comes to brandy. Of course, they do drink a lot of it there, but the reason why it's a big deal is because the Dutch trading company was headquartered there for a while. And last but not least, the United States, specifically California. And the U.S. has a very interesting relationship with brandy. It's different than the codified regions of Europe and the um, what was going on in South Africa because of its proximity to the within the trading company. For the United States, a lot of the brandy that was developed here was because of the lack of um, quality grapes were producing. Not all grapes all the time in the history of California winemaking did well. And when they didn't do well, they were often added as brandy to a line of wines, and that still happens to this day. In France, and specifically in the Armagnac, Cognac, and that sort of region of of France, there's a select list of varieties that are used to make brandy. And they're often white wine grapes that, if they're made into dry white wine or still wine, they're not as complex. They're sort of what we would call a neutral grape in that you can drink them pretty easily and they're not going to really have layers and live of this and layers of that. Grapes like Uni Blanc, Bourg Blanc, Colombard, Rolle, which is also called Vermentino. And it's really the oak exposure that brings the awesomeness to these specific styles of varieties being used to make these sort of brandied spirits. But the difference in the United States was, well, specifically California, is that in Europe, there were not strict rules because the, like the AOC, the, the controlled Appalachian system really wasn't even developed yet. And it was, there were Appalachian systems sort of like just in individual places, but still there are very hard and fast traditions in California. Anything goes, what grapes do you have available? I'm going to distill those and turn them into brandy. What do you have available? Oh, Thompson's seedless grape. I'll do that. That's all it was. And people would actually use some grapes that, are, that were used in cognac in California. But there was a guy named Henry Nagley in the 1860s in California who made brandy from Pinot Noir and Riesling. But the Pinot Noir was sort of the key. Even Henry himself and a couple other distillers went back and forth from Uni Blanc and other varieties, but they kept on coming back to Pinot Noir. And actually... For this episode, I talked to David Warter, who's the distiller for Gallo, and he talked about Pinot Noir and how much it's wonderful, the fruitiness, the depth of it that comes into the actual distillant. And again, as usual, with American history of drinks, if it wasn't for Prohibition, I'm not sure where we would be now. But because of Prohibition, after the decade-long law was repealed, the state of the wine industry in the United States was very, very bad. And the idea of making brandy was more of a survival tactic than it was just for trying to figure out what works. And that's where brandy kind of, it kind of just became this ordinary drink for a while. But as things began to improve with the vineyard situation in California, you know, it's a whole, man, this story is really has all kinds of layers to it with the Napa uh, Valley Vintner Society and all this stuff. But 
the ideas of Henry Nagley won the day in that it became the Pinot Noir was a focus for Brandy. And actually one of the families that a family that came from Cognac, there was actually a, a, a descendant of a family from Cognac, Hubert Germain Robin, who actually made a brandy from Pinot Noir and Gamay. And that right there almost standardized the way brandy is or how brandy is in the United States, deep, fruity with texture. But the recipes for brandy in the United States, especially California, are all over the place. And the Germain Robin family really made a name for themselves. They're from the northern part, Ukiah, the northern part of California. But another big success story with brandy in the United States, specifically California, is the Gallo brothers, specifically Julio. So Ernest Gallo was the marketer. He was the guy that went out and made the business happen. Julio was always in the vineyards and he loved making brandy in the seventies and the eighties. And that is kind of one of the big parts of the Gallo legacy to the point where in 2017 Gallo actually bought Hubert Germain Robin or is it Hubert Germain Robin? And what is just really amazing talking to David at Gallo is that he is making brandy for Gallo based off of the notes that Julio was making back in the 70s. So what's really, really crazy about this particular alcoholic drink is you have to see into the future with what kind of blending you're going to do, what kind of grapes you're going to use, because these things are going to go, these are going to be distilled and they're going to go into barrels and they're going to, they're going to taste a certain way. And, the blending and everything they did back in the day should produce something wonderful years later. So David is telling me that not only is he reading the notes and being guided by Julio, who, you know, passed away years ago to what he's doing for the future of the brandy that he's making and what kind of legacy he's leaving. I didn't realize brandy had this element and it's pretty amazing stuff. And another thing that's really funky about brandy is that it involves winemaking. But because of the second part of the, of the brandy making producing regime, which is after the wine is made, you start to distill it, the chemicals change. And when chemical reactions change, a whole new world of blending and focus opens up. What's really crazy, I just keep on saying it, but man, this is just, I was blown away by this, just learning about Brandy, in that if you remember back in the sparkling wine episode, we talked about when varieties are harvested for sparkling wine, they're often harvested before they're fully ripened for high acidity. And because that becomes the blend for the base wine, which will then be added with bubbles and other kinds, you know, we, we know about that. This is so crazy because that's exactly what they do for brandy. They want to make sure that they have as much acidity as possible to get a clean distillate. I find that fascinating. Another thing that's fascinating with the uh, with with brandy and all this is <laughs> this is crazy, guys. There is no 
SO2 additions in the winemaking process for brandy. They try to actively not add or don't they want they don't want SO2 involved in the whole, in, in, in the thing because of because the result of SO2's work comes through negatively in the resulting distillate. Basically, because of the high temperature of the distillation process, sulfur can convert into sulfur dioxide, the stinky rotten egg part of sulfur, and overtake the distillate. So, that's just, guys, right? Now, David tells me, and this is the thing about brandy, it's, it's just such a creative medium. You can do whatever you want. I mean, there are regulations in California for brandy. Only California grapes can be used. The spirit has to be distilled to a maximum of, well, or below of 85% alcohol. That's what Jansa says. Davis is 170, which so there might be a little bit of a discrepancy there. And then the distillate needs to be put in barrel for at least two years, but it could be anything after that. And that is American brandy, specifically California. <laughs> But that's the thing is you can do whatever you want. So all these, so there's those rules, but you can co-ferment, you can ferment grapes individually, you can make individual wine and blend later. It's just, it's all over the place. And what the Gallo, what David does at Gallo is he individually vinifies grapes and then at, at high acid levels, and then he distills them and he concentrates on the specific unique aromas that the distillate will give based on the variety, which is just, how many times have I said fascinating? It's fascinating. And then they blend from that and then they put it in barrel. It's just uh, very, it, it blows my mind because th at the end of the winemaking process, one of the most fun things the winemakers tell me they're all the time, the fun, the most fun part of wine making <laughs> is that if we're a blending at the end, that blending moment is, is fun. It's them. All their hard work is almost done. They're just grabbing wine. They've carefully made and they're blending it with different proportions, trying to figure out what is their style for the vintage or for the winery. The same thing happens with brandy, but instead of going into barrel for a few months or however long for wine, this stuff is going to go in for like 20, 30, 40 years. And I have one word for this. Fascinating. So this is a kind of a little crash course on brandy. We need to do some more kind of minute exploration into, is that even a term? Into brandy. We got to talk about cognac. We got to talk about Armagnac. And we got to kind of dive into other places like Spain to get a sense of it. But I don't know. It's a neat little market. I'm actually pretty interested in getting more into this stuff and kind of understanding, especially on the American side, because I'm hearing about or reading about some like, there's a little cache of pioneering brandy makers in the United States, and I really want to kind of, I don't know, we'll get into it. But this is the crash course on brandy. This will get you started. Wow, that's it. Season two, guys. Follow me on Instagram, Vine Pear Keith. Cool stuff coming. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. 
And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Brandy. At E&J Brandy, crafting the best brandy is what we do. We harvest only the highest quality grapes, distill each vintage in our own distilleries, and age each batch for at least two years in oak barrels. The result? Brandy that is smooth and aromatic with incredible depth and flavor. Try our ultra-elegant E&G XO Brandy, or switch it up with one of our E&J flavors, peach, apple, or vanilla. Crafting quality brandy since 1975. E&J Brandy.